Chapter 6, transformed by the word and not the words. There are words and then there is the word. Here is a question I want to ask us today. How important are words and the meaning of words to us? Because there are words and then there are words. Paul said he spoke of the things freely given to us by God in words of the Spirit and not words taught by human wisdom. 1 Corinthians 2, 12 to 13. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. Paul spoke the words of the spirit. And this is why verse 14 says that a natural man does not accept or understand these words of the spirit. These words are spiritually appraised, verse 14. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. This is the same position Jesus spoke from and is the reason his disciples didn't understand many of the things he was trying to teach them. They didn't have the ability to hear these spiritual words in the Spirit. They heard his words through the wisdom of man the flesh, and found themselves countless times moving in the opposite direction to Christ. Mark 8, 11, verse 21. The Pharisees came out and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. Sighing deeply in his spirit, he said, Why does this generation seek for a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. Leaving them, he again embarked and went away to the other side. And they had forgotten to take bread and did not have more than one loaf in the boat with them. And he was giving orders to them saying, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. They began to discuss with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why do you discuss the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet see or understand? Do you have a hardened heart? Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces you picked up? They said to him, 12. When I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many large baskets full of broken pieces did you pick up? And they said to him, seven. And he was saying to them, do you not yet understand? The above passage is a great example of the point I'm making here. Jesus is talking about the teaching of the Pharisees, 11. And the disciples think he is talking about bread. Jesus then challenges his disciples with still having a hardened heart, eyes that still don't see and ears that still don't hear. How can this be? Jesus was speaking in a human language that they all understood. How come the disciples think he is talking about bread when he clearly isn't? Why do they make the mistake of his words which are Aramaic when they understand Aramaic? The reason is because Jesus is speaking spiritual words taught by the Spirit through this natural Aramaic language. But his disciples are unable to hear these spiritual words. He may as well be speaking to them in a natural language they don't understand. It is no different for us today. Our natural language may be English, and this is the vehicle that we use to try and describe the words or thoughts given to us by the Spirit. Any human language will be an inadequate vehicle to convey words of the Spirit unless the hearer is spiritually appraised 
and able to translate what the Spirit is saying behind or through the words spoken in a human tongue. I wonder how many of us do exactly the same as the disciples did. We hear the spiritual words spoken through the English language, but instead of hearing these spiritual words, all we do is hear our own version of what is spoken, and we completely hear the wrong thing to what was said. This happens because we are hearing through our flesh, and the flesh will never understand the things of the Spirit. We hear the words, but we don't hear the word, the truth at all. We hear something completely different to what was said, but we are convinced we have heard correctly, and we now act upon what we believe we have heard. The only problem is the word, the truth, is to make us free, and we are no freer than we were before. This is a clear sign or indicator to us that we have heard words, but not heard the word at all. I can't recall in my 17 years of following Jesus how many times I've witnessed this happening not only in others' lives, my own life as well. We do this very thing when we also read his word. We read through the scriptures with the filter of the flesh and come up with our own version of what we think and believe is written. We are unable to see the word, God's version of himself, even though we are reading the words. This happens because the spirit hasn't revealed the word in us and to us. We have to come into the revelation of what is written down from God's perspective and not our version of it. The scary thing is we take our version of the word and then go and act out what we think and believe we have learned. As I've mentioned in the last chapter, revelation is the key to transformation. Revelation by the Holy Spirit and the Spirit alone is the only way that we come into a true knowledge of the word. The word being what is spoken and written down in the scriptures. True biblical understanding starts in the spirit of a person and not the flesh. You may have heard that comment made. I am waiting for the words, the knowledge I have in my head to drop nine inches into my heart. And when it does, then I will have a revealed position of truth. Although I fundamentally believe God is outside of any formula or four-step plans or box that we try and come up with to describe the way he operates, I do believe he has patterns and processes that he operates through, even though he is by no means limited by these patterns and processes. I believe and suggest to you that the saying, I am waiting for the knowledge I have in my head to drop nine inches into my heart, and when it does, then I will have a revealed position of truth, is of man and not of God. I believe and suggest to you that this position is not only back to front, but it is in fact a position of the flesh. The operating system of the Spirit brings the Word alive. As we have already mentioned, there are two operating systems that are at work, the operating system of the flesh or the operating system of the Spirit. It is imperative that as His followers, we operate from the operating system of the Spirit. It's when we operate from the operating system of the Spirit that we are able to hear the Word of the Spirit and not just the words. Our natural position is to operate from the operating system of the flesh, because this is the system we are born into and still remains in us. We will operate from the system if he isn't increasing in us and our flesh is not decreasing by the power of the Spirit. The Bible says we are to be transformed through the renewing of our mind. A renewed mind is a mind that is receiving God's living word, and this word has the power to change the way we think. It is not a mind which has information or so-called knowledge, words, stored in it, waiting for the Spirit to bring it to life. The renewing of the mind happens when the Spirit reveals the living Word in us 
and not when we acquire mere head knowledge of the words written on the page. One of the major problems is that we have been brought up on intellectualism. We adopt the patterns of the world and think the acquisition of knowledge or the truth is acquired through the carnal mind, and we wait for God to illuminate it. We study the words of Christ and obey the words of Christ, but we never come to know the word, and so we never come into the life of the word through our obedience. This is knowledge, and although it may be technically correct, it is not living knowledge. It is not a transformative or true knowledge. All it is at best is information about something or someone, but it doesn't birth his life in us, which is the entire purpose of the word. An example of this would be someone being able to share in words what the word love means in the Greek and give us the exact meaning of the words agape, agape, phileo, but not actually have this love operating within them. Most of the time, all this knowledge does is lead us into a false reality and births in us haughtiness and pride, or in other words, a pharisaical spirit. I personally believe this is the diet of many of his followers today. We think if we know the words of Christ, we know the word, but we still lack the ability to demonstrate his life. This is really important when it comes to understanding how God transforms us through the word and not mere head knowledge of the words. Psalm 51 verse 5, Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being. These are the powerful words of King David, who also understood that God's truth must be received in our spirit first before having our mind renewed to this truth by the power of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4, 22-24, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you're being renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which is the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. This reality can, of course, happen all at once to the measure Jesus determines to reveal his truth in us. Our spirit receives his truth, and our minds are renewed by the power of the spirit at the same time. We are now able to live from the new position of truth because of the work the spirit has accomplished in us. This, in fact, plays a massive part in my personal testimony where 17 years ago, Jesus poured out a revelation of himself within me. I received an overwhelming realization of his love for me. He baptized me in his power and showed me who I was without him and my true state before him. This all happened in a second, and my spirit was full of the reality of Jesus Christ, the word, to a measure, and my mind was renewed to a measure of his truth. This powerful work of the spirit all happened in me and not to me. I had not read a Bible before, nor did I know any of the scriptures, but Jesus Christ had revealed himself in me, and I was able to share living truths with people. I had received the word, not the words of Christ, but the word himself. What was fascinating was when people would give me the chapter and verse to the truth I was speaking, I would laugh and say, really? I didn't know that. This has also been my reality in the last five years to which this book gives testimony. My spirit was receiving living truth. And even though this truth was feeding my spirit and creating so much life in me, I still couldn't tell people what it was until the mind had been renewed by the power of the spirit. It wasn't until my mind was renewed by the spirit that I could see the picture in the spirit of the bride of Christ, the millennial reign of Christ and the church's role within this and the kingdom of God. I didn't have the so-called knowledge sitting in my mind waiting to be renewed because of all the searching and study of the scriptures. 
I had done to come into this understanding. No, it wasn't even present, but became present as I received the word of Christ. My mind was renewed by the receiving of the word by the Spirit. I had received in my mind a measure of the revealed position of the bride of Christ, the millennial reign of Christ, and the kingdom of God that was not currently present. It was not just a technical, theological viewpoint or opinion that I had acquired through my own or other people's opinions, but it was the word revealed, and this word has and continues to birth incredible life in me. I suggest to us that the mind of man that has not yet been renewed by the Spirit is an impenetrable barrier to the things of the Spirit and, in fact, can be in opposition to the Spirit. Galatians 5, 16-17 But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. 1 Corinthians 2, 14 to 16. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them, because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ is a mind that has been renewed to the ways of God by the Spirit of God. It is not a mind that just reads God's word to acquire information or facts in order to reiterate these things in a well-presented manner. Paul said his preaching wasn't in persuasive words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the spirit and of power. He also said the kingdom of God is not consistent words, but in power. This power firstly isn't about the demonstration of external works of God, but the power that operates within a person in relation to the transformation of a person's life from the inside out. Romans eight twenty eight to 30. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. The purpose of the word is to bring complete transformational life from the inside out, from our innermost being, so that we are made into the image of Christ and we live from this reality. Can it be any clearer? Jesus tells God in John seventeen seventeen to sanctify the disciples in the truth, for your word is truth. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 says the will of God is the sanctification of his people. Jesus said in John 17, 19, that for the sake of his disciples, he sanctifies himself in truth in the hope that this modeling would lead the disciples to be sanctified in the truth. This will only happen when we receive the word. The mind is not our first point of call for understanding, but the spirit is. This is why so many followers struggle to comprehend the things of the spirit, because we are trying to understand them through the mind or the intellect. We must receive the truth in our spirit and have the Spirit renew our mind. Let me give you a quick example by making this statement. We come to understand God's love through the receiving of God's love. It's the receiving of God's love through the power of the Spirit that brings us into the understanding of God's love in our minds. It's not the intellectual understanding of the meaning of the words that causes this incredible change and transformation, but by the receiving of the Word in our Spirit, which renews our minds. The word is powerful. The word has power in itself. 
The word cuts, pierces, judges, creates, shapes and forms. It is transformational in nature and it performs a continuous work of renewal in us and through us, developing the life of Christ in us. The word arrests us and propels us forward in the spirit. The word literally births Christ's life in us so we are able and capable to demonstrate this life. The word of God is living, but whether it actually has this impact in our lives and performs this incredible transformational work in us is dependent on whether we have the ability to hear and receive this living, powerful word. Romans 10, 17 says, So faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. All throughout Scripture, we see the phrases, the word of Christ, or the word of God, being used, and how people responded to this word. Not all people responded in a positive way to these words. We can see from this very passage that true biblical faith comes from the ability to hear, and hearing by the word of Christ. This is a substance called faith now present because of a person's ability to hear and receive in the spirit. Not any word or words, but the word. Question for us. So what is the word of Christ or the word of God that does this incredible work in us? What is the word? I believe there is a fourfold aspect to the word of Christ or the word of God, and yet it is ultimately one position in him. Number one, it's the literal spoken word of God. God spoke and creation came into existence. What wasn't present became present. Genesis 1-3, then God said, let there be light, and there was light. John 6-63, it is the spirit who gives life. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. Number two, it's literally Jesus himself. John 1, 1 1-5, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. John 1, verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Number three, it is a literal word or words that God gives us directly from himself to speak out that have incredible power contained in them. Deuteronomy 18, 18 to 19, I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. It shall come about that whoever will not listen to my words, which he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. Ezekiel 37 verse 4 to 10. Again, he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you that you may come to life. I will put sinews on you, make flesh grow back on you. Cover you with skin and put breath in you that you may come alive and you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded and as I prophesied, there was a noise and behold, a rattling and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked and behold, sinews were on them and flesh grew and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy son of man and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they come to life. 
So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they came to life and stood on their feet at exceedingly great army. Number four, it is the life and power of God contained in the written scriptures, the truth on the page. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Psalm 19.7-8, the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The Spirit brings the Word to life in us. My personal conviction is that for far too long now, we have tended to only view God's Word through some of the following lenses, as a textbook which we study intellectually to acquire knowledge, but we don't have the corresponding life of the Scriptures. We see Jesus talking to the religious leaders about this position in John 5, 39-40, when he says, You search the Scriptures because you think in them you find eternal life. But the Scriptures testify about me, and yet you are unwilling to come to me and find this life. I call this position the position of flesh and truth. This is a type of operating system. It is where the flesh tries to understand the living truth, and it never can and it never will. This position ultimately leads you to creating a false truth that you live by in his name. It is not of him, but you become convinced it is, and pride and arrogance become the attributes of this posture. Then there is this historical lens. This is where you only really see the Bible as a book that declares past events, and you only ever see it as a book of true facts and accounts. Then there is the lens that teaches us and forewarns us about future events, and you become transfixed about trying to work out the date of Christ's return. You become obsessed with all the doom and gloom instead of being full of hope and love because of what this part of the Bible was actually about. The last lens sees the Bible as a book that teaches us about a person called Jesus and his life. It's no different to reading a book about any other person that I can know about, and yet this knowledge remains impersonal. The purpose of the word. What I believe we have failed to grasp as a whole and come into is the greater dimension and purpose of this word of Christ. This dimension that births, forms, changes and creates life where life wasn't or where life has broken and fractured. This is the very purpose of transformation. It was Jesus himself who said in John six fifty three, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. Notice what we need to do if we want to have life in us. The passage goes on to say, For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. Is this what we are doing? Are we eating his flesh and drinking his blood, so that his life is abiding in us more and more? Can we testify to this abiding work? Or are we saying, what on earth are you talking about? I love how Jesus uses analogies or metaphors of food and water to describe a spiritual dimension. Food and water are basic commodities, along with clothing and shelter that every human being requires to live and function. And we see Jesus teaching us that he is bread. He is the source of life. In John 6.35, he says, He is the bread of life, and he who comes to him will not hunger, and he who believes in him will never thirst. Did we capture that? 
He who believes in him will never thirst, and he who comes to him will never hunger. Now there is a promise and a reality that is worth laying one's life down for to discover and come into. Jesus says in John 4 that the water he gives takes away the thirst for natural water, and that the water he gives becomes a wellspring of water in us. These are very bold statements that Jesus makes about himself. And I guess the question is, do we carry a conviction of these statements? Jesus is painting a very clear picture for us using the basic essential commodities that we need to survive in the natural. And yet the reality of the realm he is describing is far from basic. He wants to become our very life source. I love how the Bible describes God as our shelter and he clothes us in his righteousness so we are able to live righteously. God has all the four essential commodities to human existence covered in himself. And then he asks us to eat of him and drink of him so we can have abundant life in us. Are we dieting on the word that births this abundant life of the Spirit? Jesus said, if we are abiding in him, then there will be much fruit of the Spirit produced in us, much love, much joy, much peace, etc. The word of Christ is to make Christ known intimately in us so we are able to be the transformation of his nature, his character, and his power on the earth. It is from this reality that we accomplish the spirit-led works he has for us to do. This is the whole purpose of preaching or teaching the word of Christ, to declare the reality of God and his purposes for whom he truly is and what his purposes truly are, to make Christ known. This brings incredible insight into why Paul said he would not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through him. As someone who communicates God's word, how do I in fact know it is God's word that I am communicating and not in fact my own version of his word? The answer to this question lies in whether this very word has been accomplished through me and I am now in the corresponding life of this word. If we are not in the corresponding life of what we are speaking, can I suggest very strongly we keep our mouths closed until we are? We will have heard the same, practice what you preach. I would suggest a more biblical version of this is preach what you are practicing. It is the living reality of what God is doing in our lives which we are to declare. This is what a testimony is, a living reality. God doesn't want theory preached but living reality. Many preachers teach the words on the page but we need to be preaching the word himself. As I have already mentioned, the word is a living word that contains within it its own power to perform a work within us. It will be our ability to hear and receive this type of word in the spirit that will determine whether the substance of faith is formed and produced in us. This is why this chapter is called Transformed by the Word and Not the Words. 1 Thessalonians 2.13 is a perfect example of what I'm writing about. For this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. Once again, I want us to look at this passage and make some key observations about what Paul is saying. Firstly, Paul is continuously thanking and praising God, celebrating in God for a purpose. He has given God praise and glory for a reality that has happened. What is this reality that the Thessalonians church heard, received, and accepted as the word of God and not man, even though the word came through the agency of man? They were able to do this because of their ability to hear the word of God in the spirit. 
It is through this ability to hear, receive, believe, and accept this very word of God by faith that performs its work within these people. This word performed a genuine work of the Spirit in these people, which caused life to be formed and deposited in them. They believed, and through this living conviction, they were changed. Only a heart of humility is able to receive this word. Another example of this dimension is found in the book of 1 Thessalonians. Paul speaks to the Thessalonians and says that the gospel they received came not only in word, but in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 5. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. This is the word that I'm talking about when I say we must receive the word of Christ, a living word and not just any word. The word has its own power contained within it. It's the word that the Holy Spirit works with to bring a full conviction into the heart of the hearer, which causes change and a turning from one reality to another. As we continue reading in verse 9 of this very chapter, we see the impact the word had on these people. These people turn from their idols that they are serving to serve the living and true God. These people have let go and turned for one powerful reality and grabbed hold of another true reality. The outcome of this word. This is to be our reality. We are to turn from all the idols that we have positioned in our hearts above God and establish God as the number one person in our hearts. Idols such as wives, husbands, children, sport, careers, money, ministry, possessions, leisure, image, and the list goes on and on. The Bible says where your treasure is, there your heart will be. In other words, the heart follows and will be found in what a person truly loves. Paul said he was controlled by the love of the Father. What or who are you controlled by? To be set and made free from this form of bondage, we need to be able to hear, receive, believe, and accept the word of Christ. This is how powerful this type of word is. It's this type of word that Peter preached in Acts 2, Acts 2, 37 to 38. Now, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. When they heard what? When they heard the living word of Christ being preached with the power of God under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. This word created such a conviction that these men who heard this type of word asked, what shall we do? To which Peter responded, repent. This word pierced these men's hearts. And it was this word, not any word, which made this incredible change happen in them. There was no coercion or music being played with dimly lit lights with the speaker using the tone of their voice to create a certain type of atmosphere to pull on every heartstring and emotion. No, Peter declared the word of Christ and the power of Christ and the anointing of the Holy Spirit and these men heard this word and faith was birthed in the hearts of the hearers. Romans ten seventeen says, So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. They responded from this brand new position of faith that wasn't presently there before. I want to draw our attention to where these men were pierced by this type of word. Where were they pierced? In their minds? No. Were they pierced in their soul? No. They were pierced in their hearts or their spirits. And from this place, they were convinced and responded. How do we know when we receive this type of word? 
Danielle and I have two amazing and beautiful children who are now 10 and 7 years of age at the writing of this book. When Danielle fell pregnant with both of our girls, she knew instinctively that she was pregnant. Before any pregnancy test or visit to the local GP, she said to me, Greg, I am pregnant. How did she know? Because her physical body was telling her. Danielle was able to identify in the innermost part of her body that something was different. There was something there that wasn't there before, and she could definitely tell the difference. Life had birthed and been deposited, and this life had altered her. Danielle now had life in her that wasn't there before, and as this life started to grow and develop, she was being changed more and more each day. This new life within her was changing every aspect of her life. Her physical body was experiencing the impact of this new life within her. Her emotions were experiencing the impact of this new life within her. My wife knew without any doubt she was changing because of this living reality within her. Reading and learning about being pregnant are completely different from actually being pregnant. The same is true when we receive the word of Christ. The word of God is a living, breathing, transcendent, transformational and powerful substance which performs a continuous work of renewal in and through us, taking us literally from one measure of maturity to life and to another. The Word of God births, forms, and develops the literal life of Christ in us. It's only when you become pregnant that you know and experience the incredible difference between knowing about being pregnant and actually being pregnant. It's only when we receive the living Word of Christ, not just any Word, that we will be changed and transformed. The change process happens at conception and continues to happen even after the birth. Life is no longer the same as it was. The genuine, authentic, true work of the Holy Spirit that is eternal starts in the innermost being, and this work brings the soul and the body into alignment and causes a response that is consistent with this true work in the Spirit. Once again, we are transformed through a living word, the word of Christ, and not just any word.